want to invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. You'll see the, the words on the screen. Join me, please, if you will. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, welcome to worship at Providence Church. We are so glad that you are joining us and so many of you join us online uh, right now. Uh, we're thankful to be in this place with you and worship. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. And again, uh, as Pierce said, uh, we, we welcome you here. We're glad that you're here. For the last uh, five weeks, we've been looking at a strange character in the Bible. His name is John the Baptist. He's Jesus' cousin. Uh, he's a crazy-looking guy out in the desert, meaning he kind of dresses strange and eats strange things. And the heartbeat of his life, the aim of his teachings was very simple. It was him saying, uh, don't look at me. I want to point you to Jesus. Jesus is the one. People would say stuff to him, and he'd say, no, Jesus is the one. He's the one. He's the one who's come from God to save us. So John's most famous quotes, when you get to the heart of them, are really directing people away from looking at him and trying to look at Jesus. One of his famous quotes, uh, people are, are coming out to him in the wilderness, and they're looking at him, and he says, no, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as he points to, to Jesus. And, and people sort of wondered this John, because he had such a charisma and such power, God's power seemed to be around him. They're like, John, are you the one? Are you the one who's to come? And he says, no, I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness <laughs> to make straight or to prepare ye the way of the Lord. So John is really clear about who he was and, and what he was supposed to be doing, but it was, he was a really... Um, just magnanimous guy, magnetic guy. People thought he was great. And so they would come to him and he'd say, no, he must become greater and I must become less. You're looking at me as if I'm great. And John would probably say, I'm pretty great, but he must become greater and I must become less. And if you spend some time like we have studying about John the Baptist, seeing what he did, reading his words, at least this is what I've experienced over the last month or so with you guys, you grow to love him. It's strange, isn't it? Like you, you begin to have an affection for this guy, you know, the cousin of Jesus, who any, every time he could have like taken, taken the crown, said, nope, I won't take it. That's for Jesus. It was really, really beautiful. I mean, John reminds me of like, you know, you have that weird, that weird uncle, right? <laughs> and it's like, he's just a little bit different, but you know him. And, and you spend Thanksgiving with him and Christmas. You're like, he's really good. I love him. I know he's different. I know he's peculiar, but I love, or like that kid at class who everybody kind of looks sideways at, but you got to know her, you know, you went there, you came close. You're like, she's really cool. She's really special, even though we've kind of pushed her out on the margins. Or I think John the Bass is most like, you know, you had that one favorite teacher and he was eccentric and he wore the corduroy jacket, you know, with the pads on there and all that. And he did stuff like no other teacher does that, but he got your attention and you were captivated by that teacher. And, and you, you began to see that his whole aim was to help you understand something that you couldn't understand on your own. You're like, I really love that person. And that's why our story in the Bible this week about John the Baptist, it's really difficult 
I have been a little bit surprised at myself at how difficult this story is. Even I was quite tempted to push it aside because the John the Baptist story in the Bible doesn't end well for him. And the implications of what happens to John the Baptist, I think, are huge for those of us who still want to live like him and point people to Jesus. And so I'm not even going to make you wait to hear what happens to John the Baptist. In any Bible that I have, Matthew chapter 14 that we're going to be reading from has this heading, John the Baptist beheaded. And so I want to read it to you. Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Welcome. Glad you're here. John the Baptist beheaded. Matthew chapter 14, verse 3. Now Herod, who is a king-type figure, arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison. So we're not just talking about some random guy. This is the John we love. He's tied up, put in prison because of Herodias, his, that's Herod's brother Philip's wife. So unpack that a little bit. Herod has married his brother's wife, and his brother's like, still alive, okay? And John has been saying to him, this is why he's arrested, it's not okay for you to do that. He's been saying to the leader, like, that's not, that's not okay. So Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. Everybody's going out to him in the wilderness. So on Herod's birthday, The daughter of Herodias, that's his brother Philip's wife that he married, the daughter danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked at his big birthday party. And prompted by her mother, her mother whispers in her ear, the daughter's ear, she says, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And the king was distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he orders that the request be granted and had John beheaded in prison that moment. And his head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it, the head, to her mother. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This sounds like an epic movie, you know, with some king with a big turkey leg sitting at a big wooden table with his goblet of wine, pounding his fist when he doesn't get his way. Herod has arrested John the Baptist because John the Baptist said he shouldn't be married to his brother's wife. I'll say it again slower. Herod has arrested John because John said you shouldn't be married to your brother's wife. And at King Herod's birthday party, the daughter of Herodias, his brother's wife, whom he's married, Herod likes her dancing so much. This is weird. He promises the girl he'll give her anything she wants. You just picture big, boastful king pounding his chest. He's proud of the girl, of his new wife, who's actually his niece. And the daughter checks in with the mom, what should I ask for? And she whispers, John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king's sick to his stomach when he hears the words, because he doesn't want to do that. But he's just promised in front of his whole dinner party. And it's not a good look for kings to go back on their oaths. So he has John beheaded. And they bring his head on the plate and they give it to the girl and the girl walks over and sets it in front of her mom and her stepdad slash uncle. It's a graphic, strange story. 
that could be left aside or ignored. But as we read on, something happens that might affect our hearts a little bit. It's not the end of the story. It says John's disciples, his friends, came and took his body and buried it. We don't know what happened to the head. And then they went and told Jesus that whole story. And when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a place where he could be alone. And we can imagine what Jesus did when he got alone. Processed the news that his precious, crazy cousin had suffered and died such a shameful, painful, fearful death. We know that Jesus loved John the Baptist, and we know that he grieved. And what is usually just sort of this crazy story to read, I've never preached on it, you know, what we take from it is John the Baptist's head on a platter, but we don't really think about who John the Baptist was. And we marvel at ancient times when people could be so cruel and heartless and do crazy things like that. It's a story we pass over because what could it really say to us in our contemporary, much more sophisticated time? But today I thought, let's not do that. Let's see what God might say through God's word to us. One reason I thought, because even though it isn't true for us, there are people today in the world who will lose their lives because they tell the truth and point to Jesus. In the last 12 months, I went to an organization that I trust, and I found that 4,761 people have lost their lives from last September to this October in the world because someone came to them and said, you can either say you don't believe in Jesus or die, and they said, I believe in Jesus. Now, keep in mind that number is probably much, much higher than that. In closed countries like North Korea and Afghanistan, Christians are being persecuted in war-ridden places like Somalia and Libya, they're not turning in data on how many Christians are being killed. So that may not have practical implications for our lives today, you know, here in America, but surely the mention of it could give us some sorrow for our brothers and sisters. And we could also rejoice that these martyrs now circle the throne and praise the king. In Revelation chapter 20, verse four, I can't make this up. It says, those who have been beheaded in this life because of their testimony and their obedience to the word of God will reign with Christ for a thousand years before we get to the party. I mean, Revelation is mysterious. I can't explain that to you. I don't know exactly how that's all gonna fall out, but we can say that there's a special place for those in heaven who stand for Christ in this life and die for him. They circle the throne, reign with the king. But thank God, right? Thank God we live today where there's freedom to worship. I didn't have any fear walking in here tonight. Maybe we should be just thankful we're here and able to do this. And John the Baptist's life and death might have something to say for us. I actually, uh, I know it, um, I know it. So we live in a place where Christians are free to live and thrive. And guys, in some ways, that in itself is a dangerous place because we miss the intensity and the power of what the gospel means when we don't have to die for it. And don't mishear me, I really like living somewhere where we don't have to die for it. I'm thankful for veterans today. I see you, and I see you parents whose children are serving right now. I'm thankful for lawmakers who continue to ensure religious freedoms. 
But when you don't have to die for your faith, you're at risk of not living for your faith. And what I've witnessed in our country is a place where Christians are more often interested in the numbers on the Dow Jones Industrial Average than the number of people they point to Jesus. We've lived in a land the last couple of years where Christians have left their churches because of their commitment to politics, while I have seen very few who have left their politics because of their commitment to the church. We've lived in a place where arguments are made about masks and memes and vaccines and statues and guns. I could go on. And the issues behind these arguments are of importance. But thank God that we have the energy and time to argue over them because we live in a land where that freedom is afforded while our Christian brothers and sisters around the world literally have their necks on the line while we're typing on Facebook. And if you, like me, wish you had a bit more John the Baptist in you, someone who would say no matter what it costs, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want some more of that in me who when people start looking at me, I say, I'm just preparing the way. Instead of all this chest pounding, we'd say more of Jesus. Oh, please, God, more of Jesus, less of me. I like the way the old King James Version says it, Liz, in John chapter three, it says, he must increase, I must decrease. That's this version's way of saying he must become greater, I must become less. He must increase, I must decrease. So here's what John the Baptist teaches us is a better way. More of Jesus means increased courage. John the Baptist and his going to prison for living a life that tells the truth and points to Jesus shows us that more Jesus leads to increased courage. When we begin to increase our desire for Jesus, increase his presence in our life, increase his teachings in our life, it emboldens us to do hard things to tell people the truth and ultimately to say, just look at Jesus. Being courageous doesn't mean being mean. It doesn't mean saying everything you're thinking. That's not courage. Courage is being so focused that as all the stuff comes at you, you point people to the gentle, kind, powerful, merciful way of Jesus, no matter the cost to you. You may notice that I'm giving some cultural commentary today. It's because I want our church and the Christians who go here to look distinct from the world. That's a key characteristic of a follower of Jesus as evidenced by John the Baptist. We are noticed for our peculiarities. I can't even say it. That when people notice us, what's going on them, we point them to Jesus. My cultural commentary is that Christians have behaved and communicated in a way that looks so much like the world that nobody even notices us. We sound just like them. Christianity that looks like everybody else is bland and boring. Jesus said we're supposed to be salt and salt that loses its saltiness. It's not good for anything. He says we're supposed to be light into a dark place. What gets the attention of a loud, violent, arrogant world is a life that is gentle and kind and humble that says, no, I will not fight you. I will lay down my life for you. That's what John the Baptist did. Increased courage means uh, a decreased need to appease others. We don't have to fit in. We don't have to look like everybody else. In fact, we're not supposed to. We don't have to please everybody else. Paul wrote this while he was in chains as he was facing a similar ending as John the Baptist, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that word in the Greek, servant, means bond servant. It means in chains for Christ. 
This is weird, guys. Saying we're going to be tied up servants of Jesus, and we can't do that and be enslaved and connected to everything else. What happened with King Herod, right? Remember that guy we talked about? He wanted to please the dinner party. He couldn't handle disappointing them. It ate him up. The girl said, I want John's head on a plate. And the verse nine of chapter 14 says, the king was so distressed. Why? Because of his guests. He killed John the Baptist because of what he felt from his guest. That is a man who had no courage. So we ask God, increase my courage, decrease my need to appease others. This is a beautiful freedom when we live for what God wants us to do, even if unpopular. This week, why don't we try to take one step in increasing our courage? More of Jesus means increased obedience. The extent of John the Baptist's obedience is astounding, isn't it? When we hear of martyrs in far off places, I marvel, how could they do that? How do you get to that level of obedience? Well, I will tell you, not because I've attained it, I have not, but I've studied it. And this level of obedience is gained by one step in the direction of Jesus. Because here's what happens when you start going towards Jesus. You find out that Jesus is even more trustworthy than you thought he would be. You find out that he's even more beautiful than he looked from afar. You found that his teachings are stirring in you and moving you and changing you even more than they were before you took that first step. So one step in obedience, which you think is going to be giving so much, is actually something that leads you closer and closer to Jesus. You don't wake up one morning and say, I'll take a sword for Jesus. But a long obedience in the same direction will lead to some pretty crazy things in your life. Guys, this is the time for followers of Jesus to be obedient, not just well-read, not just faithful worshipers every week, not just dutiful studiers of the Bible, but obedient to Jesus and his word. Increased obedience means decreased pressure from outside forces. So many of us are living our lives based on the pressure that we feel from outside forces instead of obedience to the word of God. We don't even realize how, how we are moved this way and that. And then we find ourselves in compromising situations and think, how did I get here? Herod is literally sitting there thinking, how did I get to the place of beheading a man at my birthday party who later Herod will say had miraculous powers? How did he get there? He made some stupid promise and he couldn't get himself out of it. I think how many stupid promises how many foolish promises do I make with my time, my money, my mouth, my energy, and then I, I wish that I hadn't promised myself that way. I wish that I hadn't promised myself that I don't have anything left to promise to my Lord. Goodness, why don't we take one step in increasing our obedience? More of Jesus means increased sacrifice. Why would we sacrifice? Why would we give things up? Why? because we understand what really matters. You see Christians giving away money, property, and yes, their own lives, because they believe that what can be attained in Christ is more valuable than anything else. And so to give your life to what really matters, this is gonna sound really simple, we have to stop giving ourselves to so many things that don't really matter. <laughs> Increased sacrifice means, distract, means decreasing distractions. 
Increasing sacrifice will mean decreasing distractions. When we're constantly distracted, what we do is we give our attention, our, our time, our money, all these different places. Constant scrolling through social media, constant mental and physical exertion, no rest, no prayer, constant attention to distractions means we give all of ourselves away and we have nothing left to give our lives for. When we hear the word sacrifice, it sounds scary. I'll give something up. When guys, actually sacrifice is the ultimate goal of the Christian life, that we would give our lives to something that matters. I want to encourage you, um, those of you who are faithful to Providence here, to even think about how you can give to the church with your time, with your effort, and with your money. Some of you guys got a letter from me. It's that one you love to get every year. And um, it's just asking you to consider uh, giving financially to the church. And that takes obedience and sacrifice for sure. Rachel and I started doing that when we were young, 21 years old, we got married, and we decided to give 10% of our income away And then we made a goal to give more away every year, every subsequent year. And that's been one of the biggest blessings in our lives. And so I just want to offer to you uh, the opportunity to sacrifice by giving uh, to the church. Um, I mailed a card to a bunch of you if you want one tonight. There's some out in the lobby, or you can do that online. But it's not just about money. When we decrease distractions, we sacrifice more and more and find life. Now, here's the question that's been on my mind all week. It may have been on your mind as I've been talking. You're like, John got his head cut off. What are you talking about? John got his head cut off. What are we talking about? How is John the Baptist the example of the way to go? I've thought, Jacob, this is your weirdest sermon and you sound a bit cranky. Well, I decided that in honor, actually in memory of John the Baptist, who was one of our weirdest and most irritating prophets, that I would attempt to walk in his strange footsteps and irritate the comfortable Christians that we've grown to be. And I get it. Life's been really hard for us lately. I'm not minimizing that. I've seen that. I felt that. But we think the way out the way to living, thriving again, will be like getting back to comfortable or getting things like they were before. But no, friends, it will be found in more courage, more obedience, and more sacrifice. So I want to invite you, if you would, pray a risky prayer with me that I wrote. And so uh, it's kind of all the stuff I've said, so you know where we're headed. I'm just going to start praying it, and you can decide if you want want to join in. I hope some of you do. Oh Lord, decrease my need to appease others. Decrease my attention to pressure from outside forces. Decrease my distractions. Increase my courage. Increase my obedience. Increase my sacrifice. In the name and for the sake of Jesus, amen.